Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with me, Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. We are right now at the Cross-Examine Instructor Academy, CIA. So we're bringing to you a variety of speakers right now here in this broadcast. Right with me is the great Jay Warner Wallace. Jim, how are you? Doing very well. What a great opportunity. This is, the people don't know what this is, this is the place where young and or aspiring case makers, apologists, even like preachers and, and pastors who want to preach the gospel and be able to make a case for it. We get to come and, and train with them for three days. This has been one of the best things about my calendar every year. That's right. Every summer we do this, folks. So it's not coming around again until uh, the summer of 2023. But keep an eye at crossexamine.org for the details there. Right now we have about 60 students here that we're taking through a pretty rigorous program, three days. They learn how to present and answer questions. We've been doing this. This is our 15th year. And Jim, you've been a part of it most of those years. It's so it's great. great. I mean, it's been the, one of the joys of uh, just that you would still continue to ask me to come. Oh, yeah. What well, it's, you're you're the best, man. And I say that when Greg's on here. You're the best, man. I Greg Kokel's yeah, coming up next. Exactly. Too, so. Yeah, <laughs> no, but we are. But Greg will tell you that I actually am the <laughs> That's best. That's right. Yeah. You are. That's right. You are the best. <laughs> hey, let's talk a little bit about human nature here, because you have a long history in law enforcement. Your son is in law enforcement. Your dad was in law enforcement, all at the same uh, police agency there in Torrance, California. What do you know or what do you learn about human nature as a cop that either comports with the Bible or, if you can say, does anything you've discovered disagree with the Bible? There's been times nature? when we've had cases, you know, where we go to trial and defense attorneys have a client who they really, truly believe is innocent. What I should hope they would think their client is innocent, yeah. right? But but they just a part of it is they just can't imagine that a guy who for the last 30 years has been just stellar in his approach to life he's been a deacon at his church he's been a, a contributing member to his 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 city his his community yet this guy 30 years ago did, did this horrific thing because i don't think they understand the enigma of man the kind of the nature of man as described in scripture you know designed in the image of god capable of greatness but at the same time, deeply rebellious. This enigma of man, which is really perfectly described on the pages of the Old Testament and in the New Testament, um, they don't understand it. And so because they don't, they have a, a view of humans that is not really accurate. Like they don't understand that every one of us is capable of doing something like that. And then afterwards, you know, living a life that seems to, like there's no way. Like, you know, I don't work serial killers. I work cold case killers, mm -hmm. serial killers. You know, they probably have a problem for years. That's right. They're serial killers. But anyone is capable of committing one murder 30 years ago and, and then you know, acting as though they never had. And I think that's really consistent with what Scripture teaches about human nature. I think we're in a world right now where everyone says things are secularists think that humans are basically born good and they are corrupted by their environment, they're mm. corrupted by systems, they're corrupted by their parents. But in reality, if you've got kids, you know, just the opposite is true, <laughs> That's right? right. <laughs> like I never had to teach my my you know, infants, children to be uh, selfish. That's a, that's a default. It comes position. along with it, yeah. yeah Mine! So, exactly. Right, and, just, yeah. And, to be, and to lose their temper quickly. And all the things that we know are the fallen nature of humans. 
And I think that if you have that view, it helps you then, right? Because I know also that I can be easily, like these defense attorneys are often persuaded by a client who's sat across the table from them and presented a certain version of himself or herself that is that one side of the enigma, mm. right? And so, because they don't think there's another side, mm. it's harder for them to imagine it. So it seems to me, I want your comment on this, that defund the police, which mm -hmm. came out, of course, about 2020 in earnest uh, due to the awful, uh, Rod, uh, the awful uh, George Floyd thing, um, was probably one of the dumbest political ideas ever. Why? Okay, so I'm gonna, I'll say the unpopular thing, and I, I, I talk about this a lot, is that unfortunately, um, law enforcement as a profession is the one necessary profession mm -hmm. upon which every other profession is contingent. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about essential services or necessary services, right. uh, unfortunately, uh, law enforcement is at the bottom of the pyramid. I mean, it's the foundation upon which you build anything else. Mm -hmm. So you can't have doctors in your city if they are worried about their next client or next patient stealing all their money mm -hmm. or getting upset about a diagnosis. It turns out law enforcement is the thing that makes it makes every other profession possible. Right. So that's why in most communities, the first thing you establish is your local law enforcement agency. But because it's foundational, it's it's and it is so critical, it has the highest possible bar and it has the highest it should have the highest expectations of its employees. So that's why we find law enforcement misbehavior so repugnant. We 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 realize that hey if this goes bad, then how do we build anything good on top of it? Because it turns out it is so foundational. So what I try to tell the young officers is, hey, you have the blessing or the privilege to work in the one necessary profession upon which every other profession is contingent. Mm -hmm. But that also means that you have to hold yourself to the highest possible bar. And when you don't, the first thing that, that other, your, your peers are going to want is for you to be gone. We want to get you out of that profession because it turns out we, we, we can't tolerate anything but and that's a really almost to me it's almost an impossible standard to hold to, to people who are in the profession i don't know why anybody sometimes would want to do it anymore because mm -hmm. i feel like it, i mean i'm in favor of scrutiny i'm in favor of the highest level of of checks and balances in the system because it is the one necessary profession at the same time i don't know why anybody would want to do it anymore because i think that we're in a place where uh, there, there's no middle ground in terms of discourse so it might have been 35 years ago if you said, okay, we need to correct something in terms of discipline or in terms of, of how we go forward, you would have a, a moderated discussion about it. Now it's everyone's a hammer looking for a nail. Mm. So in this environment, they're going to dox you. They're going to try to you know cancel you. They're going to do all the things that – and how do you hold to a 100% perfection standard, which you have to do in any profession? I mean, whatever whoever's listening to this, if you're, if you're driving uh, Uber, have you ever made a wrong turn? Yeah, right. Well, the problem is that bad choices or bad decisions or quick errant decisions in this profession of law enforcement will, will probably get you fired. And number two, will have a huge detrimental impact on your community. So I think it's harder, right? To, to That's the standard we have to hold ourselves, though, too. And I'm, I'm, I'm for the standard. Um, but at the same time, don't come into the profession unless you realize that that is your burden. Yeah, friends, imagine no matter what you do, everything significant that you do in a given day imagine if everything you did significant on a given day was caught on camera because right these cops are now wearing body cams everything significant they do is going to be caught on camera which is a good thing on one hand but it's an impossible standard to live up to as fallen human beings and yes. here we are talking about human nature cops are fallen and 
everybody's fallen. That's part of the issue, and that's why we need cops. Yeah, and that's because, one of the problems, too. Is like yeah. even, even like, you know, like everything is selective. You hear certain things based on what your brain does to filter out the background noise. Uh -huh. You see certain things, especially under stress, based on what your brain does to focus on what's uh, a danger. The problem I have sometimes with cameras is that it, it like, when I'm if I'm looking at you and you're my threat, I'm going to be so focused on you that I'm not going to catch a lot of stuff in the peripheral. I'm not going to catch a lot of that stuff. Because I'm focused on maybe just your hands. I'm not right. going to catch your facial expressions. Well, the camera catches all of it. Right. And then the question becomes, well, why didn't you see what he was saying? Didn't you hear what he was saying? Didn't uh -huh. you see his facial expression? Yeah. Didn't you see that background over? Didn't you see the thing on, on the on the curb? Didn't you? No, I didn't see any of that. Well, how can you not see it? It's in the camera. This is what this is the view you had. Well, that's the view that does that has no um, manipulation by your brain, which actually causes you to focus on certain right. things at the expense of others. So that's the part of the problem too, right? Is that this is a, like a high intensity, high danger. Every important call that we're going to have is probably a call that led to some type of violence. So, so why Jim, are we seeing this cashless bail and we're just letting people out? There's an incident in New York city just earlier this week where this, this teenage kid is wrestling this cop on the subway. They're going back and forth. And that kid was just let out uh, uh, on bail, cashless, because he had did, done something right. violent a few days before. Why are we doing this? Well, I think we, we sometimes treat the 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 end result. We've got a, sim uh, a, um, a, a symptomatic problem, right, in culture that leads to, to certain kinds of behaviors. But we cannot re uh, remove the punishments in order to try to right the ship. I mean, a lot of this, if I've got a problem in terms of, of, of a kid's behavior for uh -huh. 20 years... I can, I can say, if you, if you don't think he should have been in, in prison or should be in custody, what we can't do is, is start at the end and say, well, this is releasing. Well, hold, hold the thought. We're going to come back to it right after the break because this is sweeping the country right now, and uh, we got to talk more about it. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with me, Frank Turk, my guest, Jay Warner Wallace, back in two. If you're low on the FM dial looking for National Public Radio, go no further. We're actually going to tell you the truth here. That's our intent anyway. You're never going to hear this on NPR. We have a real cold case homicide detective with us. You know him, Jay Warner Wallace, author of some great books, Cold Case Christianity, the brand new person of interest you all need to get. Go to coldcasechristianity.com. And just before the break, Jim and I were talking about human nature, how the Bible nails human nature they, he, they get human nature right, the Bible writers do. And Jim, just before the break, we were talking about this cashless bail thing that's going on, cashless bail. Basically, we're just letting people out after they're committing these heinous crimes. And you were making a point just before we had to go to the break. Yeah. Pick it up right there. Well, so look, we're, and we're seeing this all around the country where we've got a bunch of district attorneys who have been elected in the last election season and that really don't support Many of them come out of something other than the DA's office to begin with. In all Los right. Angeles County, we've got somebody who is really not, uh, most of his uh, command staff are all from the public defender's office. And the idea here is that there are certain groups, this is the belief, that there are certain groups that have been unfairly targeted or have the, have un, 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 unequal bad results. These mm -hmm. groups end up more incarcerated than other groups. So the question is then, well, how do we correct that? Well, one possible way is just to stop sending people to jail. And that's the approach they're taking. The other way is much more difficult, though, is to go to the core source of what the real problems are and address the problems at their core so we don't get these uh, end results in terms of incarceration rates, right? Mm -hmm. Rather than say, well, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll make sure that no one's incarcerated. Then we can say that, that there's really no disparity 
in, within a community, or we will go to where the disparity is and say, well, what's the core problem here that is causing this higher rate of mm -hmm. criminal behavior? Mm -hmm. And of course, the, the second approach is much more difficult, and it's not a law enforcement approach. I mean, we're enforcing laws. We we really aren't in the position of trying to correct the 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 cultural problems that lead to criminal behavior. We're simply being called in once the criminal behavior has already occurred. And I think this is a very different skill set. It's a very different ask from from the community. So we're never going to be the ones. Look, how many times you've been pulled over by a cop who wrote you a ticket that you felt good about, mm. even though you know when there's less speeding in your community, you're happier about it. You don't want to be the one who gets pulled over for that right, ticket. Right. So you're always put in that position where you're like like mom and dad having to enforce rules on a community that likes having rules enforced mm -hmm. but don't want them enforced against them. So do you think, Jim, that's the logic behind this? It's it's back to equity now. We have to have right. We have to have equal outcomes. That's right. Uh, and if certain groups of people are being locked up more, maybe because they're committing more crimes, the way to fix that is just say, well, we're not going to lock you up anymore, even well, though you're still committing well, right. the crimes. So you can address the issue at one end of the, of uh -huh. the trail or the other. You can address it at, at, the, uh, at the beginning of the problem. Right. We're talking about equality issues. Yep. Or you can address it at the end of the of the chain in which we were talking about equity issues. Right. right? And it turns out that you're never going to fix it by addressing it from the back backside. Uh -huh. You're going to have to go back to the core, right, uh -huh. of what, what this is all about. And that is a much harder conversation. It's a harder conversation, and it's more complex. But what do you think some of the factors are on that end? Well, I can tell you that the best outcomes you have for, and this is why government is concerned about things like marriage, mm -hmm. because it turns out the best outcomes you're going to have in terms of um, criminality, but also in terms of health, mental health, physical health, in terms of poverty rates, in terms of rates of education, in terms of teenage pregnancy, you always have better outcomes for young people when they are raised by two biological parents mm -hmm. in a low uh, conflict setting. Mm -hmm. Now that's not popular to say, but it's, it's true. You can understand yeah. why it might be true. Yeah. Now, I wasn't raised that way. My parents uh -huh. divorced when I was three. Uh -huh. So I had one biological parent in a relatively low conflict setting. So I wasn't raised. Most of us are in some kind of a blended family right now in right. America. I, I also didn't raise my family this way because I have two biological children and two adopted children. So for my two adopted children, they were not raised by their biological children, by their biological parents in a low conflict setting. Now I, I think we did good for them, yeah. better than they would have had without us. But was it ideal? No, the ideal would have been if they had their two biological parents in a low conflict setting. And why? Well, because you know you see this with your own kids. With my biological children, I can say, oh, I, 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 can, I know where that's coming from because mm -hmm. that's, he got that from me. <laughs> You'll see yourself saying <laughs> yeah, that. Right. Or he got that from you to uh -huh. your spouse. And so because there's a biological connection, you can kind of understand. And, and this is why I think you get better outcomes. And so the, the problem, of course, is that to say that, though, is offensive in a culture that says, no, any combination of biological or non-biological or any group at all can form a family. And every one of these we will want to consider as equally valuable or mm, equal, mm. equally meritorious. Right. Well, that's okay. You can you can certainly say that, but the statistics bear out something entirely different. Right. And what you see mostly, what I see, uh, and I, is it's I always say it this way: I worked gangs for several years in Los Angeles County, and working gangs. It's all I was working with gangsters. I discovered that the commonality they all had, even though they were very different ethnically. So we had some Korean cliques in our town. We had uh, Hispanic multi-generational gangs. We had black gangs and we had white stoner gangs in the south end of our town. So these are very different groups culturally, uh -huh. economically, where they lived. Some were driving Lexuses. Some were barely even able to own a car. Very different on the spectrum. What do they all have in common? Lack of dad. 
Right. Now it's it's different in different communities. Sometimes it's because dads have been incarcerated or you never your mom never knew who the precisely who the dad was or your dad's a deadbeat who doesn't pay any attention to you at all and is always just drunk and, uh, and doing nothing or your dad's a workaholic who owns a business mm. doesn't even didn't even learn to speak the, the the language when he first came here and now you've been unparented on the one side by a lack of dad and when you see lack of dad it could be for a number of different reasons but it has very similar outcomes and so I think a lot of this is what do we we, we, when we allow the parental structure to break down. Now, interestingly, traditional marriages in which two biological parents raise their own biological children. Do people still do conflict, that, Jim? I know. Yeah, they do. But now that's, it just so happens to be a biblical description of marriage. But mm -hmm. even if it wasn't, so I, I learned this working gangs probably five years before I ever became a Christian. I'd been on the job for several years, and I wasn't a Christian when I learned this. But it does turn out that the Bible describes the world the way it really is. Mm. And so th that's exactly what you discover on the pages of Scripture. So even if you didn't think the Scripture was worth anything, uh, if you adopted the views that are projected by Scripture, you'd actually have a much better outcome culturally, right? Because it turns out, and that's why I think we're interested in marriage as a culture. We know that the next generation of citizens will be benefited if they're raised a certain way. And as soon as we abandon that, stand by to stand by. Yeah, it's a problem. I remember years ago uh, when I first came to Charlotte to uh, go to seminary, I was also running my own business to try and work my way through seminary. I went to a Rotary Club meeting, and there was a guy who was the speaker who said this. Uh, he said, I work with gangs and kids who have no fathers, and a lot of times you think a kid doesn't want to have any restraints on him. He wants to do his own thing. He said, but when these kids join a gang, the gang tells them where they're going to be, what they're going to wear, what they're going to do. In other words, the gang gives them some, them some structure. They want structure. They want a track to run right, on. Right. They're either going to get it from mom and dad or they're going to get it from the gang. Yeah. And I thought that was really interesting. He was saying kids need guidance well, no matter you know, where they're getting it from. Well, you know, you often will say, well, you know, uh, there's people have a God-shaped hole uh -huh. that they will fill with a number of things. Well, yeah. in, in many ways, um, men, young men have a father-shaped hole yeah. that they will fill with it, something else. Something else will come in and be right. that paternal guiding role in their, in their, in their lives. And that is not, it's not, a, it's not a coincidence that Jesus often uses parables in which he equates the love of God to the love of a father, mm -hmm. the prodigal son, right? In which your identity is found as the son of the father. So that is something that, that you see also in gangsters, right? When you work gangs, you, you see that young men who are, and I was probably at the time I started working gangs, I was probably uh, maybe 31 or 32. Mm -hmm. And my partner was about 24. And he was much closer to their age mm -hmm. and much cooler. I mean, <laughs> he could talk like them and act like them and really bond with them at the same level. He was not that much older than them. But I was already now 15 years older than some of the kids I was working. And, and it was clear that my role with them was going to be paternal. Mm. And so I didn't try to play the game where I can talk your language. No, no, I'm going to be dad because I knew that these young men needed dad. And, and many years later, uh, we would hear back from some of these guys we had investigated years and worked with for years. And a lot of what you and gangs details is you're just out in the community amongst gangsters, just kind of hanging out with them and learning who they are and how things operate and trying to develop relationships that later can help you either suppress crime or solve crimes. And so a lot of this is uh, just had a paternal role. And I knew that that was going to be a valuable role. At the, time, at the time this was happening, 
a movie came out called Boys in the Hood. Mm. It's just a brand new movie. That movie was a brilliant movie, which demonstrated the role that fathers play in the lives of young men, period. Um, even in my life, in your life, fathers matter. And, and, and we've just kind of forgotten that, especially when it comes to crum, uh, criminal behavior. Fathers have a huge... Now, that's so unpopular to say. And I've been in conferences and, and in committees, even in Washington, D.C., where we've had these discussions. And for someone to stand up and say, and I've had pastors from the South who are working in the black community or in a, in a Hispanic community or in white, white communities where you've got high levels of crime, and they'll talk about father, 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 fatherlessness mm-hmm. and the importance of fathers. And, and they get shouted down almost immediately by even their peers mm. uh, because it's, it's a very unpopular thing to say. But it turns out, it, I mean, if you think about it in your own life, anyone who's listening, mm-hmm. if, if you haven't had a dad, who's, who's, if you're a guy who hasn't had the imp- impact of a father, you already know it. You already know how your life is different. Do I really need to say it? And if you've had a father who guided you, you already know the impact of a good father. Mm-hmm. Do I really need to say it? Now imagine you didn't have that impact. Imagine if your role models were other young men who were involved in criminal behavior, and that was shaping, that was filling the God, the father-shaped hole in your life. Well, why would you expect different outcomes? Mm. So we have to kind of do it. That's a much harder issue to address, though, isn't it? It is, because it's going to create... It's easier to blame somebody else right. th- to say, well, this is why this group of people isn't performing well, and that's why they're right. committing more crimes. It's easier to blame somebody else than actually say, you know, the problem is maybe with our family structure. The problem is with us. Look, the problem in our society, ladies and gentlemen, is not the presence of bad cops, even though there are some bad cops oh, out def- there, yeah, right? Sure. It's not the presence of bad cops. It's the absence of good fathers. That's the main issue. Well, I hate to say that, but it's very true. Yeah. And by the way, this is not based on any racial group because no. I'm seeing it across the board. That's right. You'll Because it's not about, it's lack of dad. Mm-hmm. And lack of dad looks different. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean your dad was incarcerated. It doesn't mean your dad was a, it means your dad could just be occupied, not be present. Well, Jim, I, I just was uh, gave a Father's Day talk at our favorite church out there, Calvary Chapel, yeah. Chino Hills, not long ago. And I was struck to discover that even in homes with fathers, the average father spends 30 minutes per week of meaningful conversation with his son. Meanwhile, the kid is spending 44 hours a week on the internet playing video right. games or you know texting his friends. Gee, which is do you think is going to have more influence and, on him? And that's why this culture we're in right now mm-hmm. is a leveler in terms of you can no longer say this is only a problem in certain groups. Yeah. It's a problem now in every single aspect of culture. And, it, and I think it's something that we have to think about. Again, it's much easier at the end to say, no, we're just not going to incarcerate people right. who had no influence of a good father who are doing bad. It's much harder to go back and say, how do we fix that other problem? Check out Jay Warner Wallace at coldcasechristianity.com, ladies and gentlemen. Also, his newest book, Person of Interest, you need to get one of the groundbreaking books of our time with regard to apologetics. Jim, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. All right, it's a great Jay Warner Wallace. Greg Kokel is next, ladies and gentlemen. Don't go anywhere. Back in two minutes. Welcome back to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with me, Frank Turek, on the American Family Radio Network. I want to mention I'm going to be down in Miramar, Florida at Calvary Fellowship. That is for the Sunday services, August 7th. That's near Miami. Go to our website, crossexamine.org. Click on events. You'll see my calendar there as well as Jay Warner Wallace's calendar. He was just on. But now we have another great guest with us, the great Greg Kokel, ladies and gentlemen, the president of Stand to Reason. You know, Greg's been on the program many times and 
He's written some seminal books, Relativism, Feet Firmly Planted in Midair. That's over 20 years now, Greg. Yeah, it is. It's almost 25. Yeah, and now uh, Tactics, the brand new edition of Tactics, which came out a couple of years ago, which if you don't have Tactics, you're not a Christian. Uh, and then a story of reality as well, Greg, you're working on a new book now called street smarts, aren't you? Yeah, that's right. It's kind of a, an extension of the tactics book where uh-huh. I, uh, teach people how to use questions to answer Christianity's greatest challenge. So this is called street smarts. I'm looking forward to that. That's probably out six, eight months from now, friends, keep your eyes out for that. Well, hopefully Gre- it'll be out sooner than that. Well, we hope. We'll see. Yeah. Greg is, the year early next year, right. Greg is with us here at the Cross-Examine Instructor Academy. We're near Cincinnati, Ohio, and uh, we just had Jay Warner Wallace on talking about right. the importance of fathers and also human nature, that human nature has fallen. and. Right. Uh, that's why we need checks and balances in our governments, why we need checks and balances in our own lives, why we need accountability. And uh, Greg, you are about to talk about here at CIA a talk where you call uh, you call it that uh, about being faithful is not difficult. Right. What's, what's the title of the talk well, and what are you going to cover? It's not a very clever title. You know, yeah. faithfulness is not theologically difficult. Uh-huh. And the reason I came up with that, actually still inside my Bible— I have a post-it there with that phrase on there because I was doing some shows with Amy Hall and getting these questions in uh, that we were answering on a, a radio podcast that we have called Hashtag STRask. It's a good one. Was, I listen to that a lot. Yeah, you well, and Amy good. Are you doing, need to. I'm yeah. <laughs> STRask, ladies and gentlemen. Check it out. Hashtag STRask. Uh-huh. And the, uh, the, uh, the problem was that we were getting all these questions about things that it seemed to me Christians didn't need to be asking the question about uh, that as they were considering these areas kind of gray or uncertain or unclear. And they were being challenged, of course, by the culture or maybe others inside the church who are in the process of deconstructing and deconvert, converting, et cetera. And so it, it shook them a bit. In fact, the first time this really happened was when uh, Bruce Jenner came out and walked across the stage there in Hollywood with that blue gown on and re- received the Arthur Ashe Award for courage from his Hollywood friends mm-hmm. uh, for coming out as a transgender. And we were getting a lot of questions about that uh, from our own community, actually. And, well, how are we supposed to think about this? How are we supposed to respond? And and so my staff said, well, let's make a video. And I said, what do we need a video for? Why is this difficult to, for people? But nevertheless, after a while, I finally agreed to it. And my response was very simple. Uh, tragically, Bruce Jenner is confused. Mm-hmm. It's a terrible situation. Genuine gender dysphoria is a tragic circumstance and should receive our compassion and our help. However, um, just because Bruce Jenner, and it turns out Hollywood and the Academy and the government and all our public schools now are confused, does not mean we need to be confused. Mm-hmm. You know, it's amazing, Frank, when I say that to audiences, it was I can see on their faces kind of a, a sigh of relief, so to speak. Like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Just because the community is confused doesn't mean we need to be confused. And it just shows the power of uh, social pressure, how um, we end up getting not quite dissuaded, but at least questioning a very concrete um, well-established principles. And by the way, when I do this talk, 
and I talk in this in this talk about we shouldn't be confused about about salvation, Jesus mm-hmm. being the only way, about abortion, mm-hmm. about uh, marriage, about mm-hmm. sex, about gender. Five issues, mm-hmm. real quickly, that I handled. Um, apart from Jesus, all the rest of the things you don't need a Bible not to mm-hmm. be confused about it mm-hmm. because all these other issues sim- comport with simple common sense. Mm-hmm. If if you just pay attention to how the world is structured, how reality is structured. And this is why nobody's been confused on these other issues for <laughs> like the beginning of time. No civilization has been confused about the nature of gender and sexuality. And now people have done sexual things that have not been right, but they understood how sexuality worked mm. and how families worked, etc. Just like you and Jim were talking about shortly before the last uh, podcast. And and uh, and now, of course, when you sow to the wind, you reap the whirlwind. And this is what we're experiencing now. So in this talk, I'm talking about those things that followers of Christ uh, are being besieged regarding from the culture and are being unsettled because of the pressure from without. And mine is a simple reminder that these are things that are not theologically difficult. Mm. To be faithful to the kinds of uh, to the truth, given the kinds of challenges that we're facing right now in our culture, well, that's not hard. It isn't like uh, other theological issues that where there's two sides, and you know we have different points of view on this, and we can talk about it in a friendly fashion. But maybe there's some ambiguity in Scripture, and we acknowledge that, all right. And hopefully, we're charitable in our differences, but. There are some things that it's just that Jesus is the only way of salvation. This is gospel bedrock. Right. Now, I guess mm-hmm. in principle, people could say Jesus was mistaken on that, mm-hmm. but make no mistake about the kind of claim mm-hmm. that he was making. And if we are followers of Christ, what we ought to be making. And then if you have a little more depth theologically, you understand that there's a reason why he made that particular claim. Sure. You know, yeah. singular problems, let's just call it the problem of evil have oftentimes have singular solutions. Mm -hmm. And so the problem of evil, which is a big complaint about Christianity, theism in general, and that Jesus is the only way of salvation, another big complaint, these things go together. It It is the singular problem that is actually part of our story, not foreign to our story, fits right in. And Jesus being the only way is the singular solution that solves the singular problem. Simply put, Jesus is the only way because he's the only one who solved the problem. And that goes to the issue of man's sin and rebellion. So in a way, it's kind of frustrating for me to have to do this talk, but I'm glad to do it to help encourage Christians that, yeah, you know, this basic stuff, it's, it's not theologically difficult, okay? It's very clear. Now, of course, this Part of it depends on a confidence in the authority of the text itself, Mm -hmm. which is why it's not surprising, and we were just listening to uh, Alisa Childers with her presentation, her opening presentation. I caught the front end of it before you dragged me in here. (laughs) And uh, she was talking about when people begin to deconstruct and deconvert, the very first thing to go is the authority of Scripture. The very first thing to go. Now, I mentioned before that with uh, many of these issues, you don't need Scripture to make the point mm-hmm. just because it, it, all you have to do is look at the way, the way the world is. Now, we know the way the world is is because that's the way God made it, so we can have a further explanation. But even if you don't bring the Bible in, there's a common sense element here sure. to a lot of these kinds of things. But, um, but nevertheless, when the biblical authority is undermined, you're going to get a lot of 
questions by otherwise faithful Christians because now they're not confident in the authority. And what else is left? The only thing that's left is moi, Mm -hmm. self, you do you. That's that's it. You leave some competent source of authority, God. If it isn't God, it's you. That's it. Mm Mm-hmm. Really, you in power. Mm-hmm. I wrote a piece last year. You might have read it, and I was developing this idea that um, that there are one of two forces that are always going to rule, either individuals or civilizations, and that is truth or power. That's it. That's right. Once you get rid of truth, and if you live in a culture where there is no truth or that notion is being championed, there's there's nothing left with power. But power. That's it. Who is the strongest? And you notice that so many in our culture now don't want to argue over truth. They want to cancel truth. That's right. That's they the don't, power move. They don't want to have a discussion. In fact, there are people listening to this right now are going, I can't believe that Greg Kokel called Caitlyn Jenner Bruce Jenner. Oh, no, we need to shut Greg down for saying that. I mean, you see, nobody wants to have a discussion. They just want to cancel right. people because, as That's you say— right. If they don't have truth and don't want to argue truth, they're just mm-hmm. going to resort to power. Mm-hmm. And that that's really what's going on, ladies and gentlemen. I like what the point you just made there too, Greg, about the fact that, look, either there's an authority outside yourself or there isn't. If there's no authority outside yourself, then you get to decide anything you want to do at any time. But obviously that runs into difficulty because we're living in a community. And so how do we negotiate uh, the do's and don'ts of a community if we don't have a common standard, Greg? That's what do right. we do? Well, uh, that's part of the big problem of the postmodern community uh-huh. because what they want to do is deny all standards, but they want to have community too. And and, and what we've seen this come to, uh, we, we've seen that community now begin to cannibalize itself mm. because uh, it was like um, more woke than thou, more yeah. left than thou, yeah. you know, kind of thing. And so now they're going after each other. Now, when the left cannibalizes itself, I'm, I'm going to, you know, back off and let them mm-hmm. have it. You know, um, I'm cheering them on in a certain sense. But it's really um, a function of this ideology. Um, diversity, when you think about it, diversity creates conflict, all right? Now, there are value, there's some value to diversity, but when you think about the most intimate relationships that people have, you don't want to have a lot of diversity. Mm. You don't want to marry a woman for the guys that is very different than you because mm. that's just asking for trouble. Mm-hmm. You want to have a core of common values right. in the things that really matter in life. There are other things you can be diverse about that adds interest, in, but when you get to the core, the foundation, and then, then you have trouble. And in our in our culture, where the Christian worldview had hegemony for so many hundreds of years, you know, there was a stability because there were values that we all agreed on. Even from a secular perspective, uh, Dennis Prager has talked about the American Trinity. It's on every coin, you know, liberty, pluribus unum, and in God we trust. Mm-hmm. So these are values that we all all shared, even though we had a melting pot mentality, lots of diversity. But there was a core that we all shared, and this helped us to work together as a community. Once you abandon that core and you celebrate all the differences, then there's no basis for mm. community anymore. Yeah, there's no community if there's no unity. There's no unum. Yeah, yeah that's e right. Plur- there's just e pluribus. Yeah, out of the many, one. There's not there. Yeah, There's just right. the many. Right. And so there's nothing to hold us together. And the problem is, is if you don't have common values, then it's, it's very difficult to establish a common community and a virtuous community because the whole idea of what is virtuous Mm -hmm. is up to the individual now, Mm -hmm. you know, in spades nowadays, you 
do you. Mm. And I was going to add, when you mentioned something, you're the authority. Uh, I was going to say, yeah, you can do whatever you want if you can get away with it. If you can get away with and it. And the yeah. people who get away with it are the ones that exercise the most power. We're talking to Greg Kokel, president of Stand a Reason. You need to get the book Tactics if you don't have it. I'm going to talk to Greg a little bit uh, right after the break here also. A little bit more about this sexual identity transgender issue because he's very uh, good on that issue. So don't go anywhere. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with me, Frank Turk, on the American Family Radio Network. Back in two minutes. Don't go anywhere. Why would a loving God create a place called hell? Why? Would a loving God send anybody to hell? Does God torture people in hell? You hear atheists saying that all the time. Is that really true? You need to be part of our mini course, just two-week mini course on hell, the truth about eternity. Go to crossexamine.org, click on online courses. You'll see it there. I'll be your instructor. It's just two weeks. We'll have a Zoom session together where you can interact, ask any question you want. And uh, we'll talk a lot about what Jesus said about hell because he talked almost more about hell than he did about heaven. I'm back to my friend Greg Kokel now, president of Stand a Reason. We're talking about some of these cultural issues. And Greg, before the break, we talked a little bit about the fact uh, that there's truth and then there are there is power. And some people that don't want to deal with truth are just going to use power to overwhelm you. And that appears to be happen on the happening in the gender identity, transgender right. issue. Yeah. How do you see that playing out? And maybe I can ask you a specific question about that. You just mentioned before the break that the left is kind of cannibalizing themselves. They're, they're, they're arguing over that issue or those issues a little bit. Where are they arguing? Where are they contradictory? Well, um, in, in the cannibalizing example, the best one that comes to mind is on like the gender issues, the transgender issues, the sports, and Martina Navratilova, for yeah. example. So here's a woman who is very accomplished athlete for many years, very pro-women and a, a lesbian herself, right. uh, very public about it. And now she is coming out against the uh, I- impropriety of de facto act- men <laughs> competing against women. Mm. You know, the Title IX was meant to provide a safe place for women to compete without mm-hmm. inappropriate competition from men. But I was watching a, like a, 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 it was a little advertisement celebrating Title IX, and there was a lot of clips. And here's where they were, or whatever. And now they go celebrating the women doing the thing, and all of a sudden they celebrate the transgender without realizing. Wait a minute! The transgender stuff now is annihilating the basis mm-hmm. for Title IX. Mm. Now you have men competing with women, you know, and uh, it's hard to even call it competing anymore because there is no competition. Right? You know, men it, in, in almost every single area are going to exceed because of physical structure and everything mm-hmm. like that. And this is a this is a no brainer. But this is one way that um, that you see this cannibalization going mm-hmm. on. And she's a persona non grata now. She's on the left. You know, and all these issues, but she realizes this ain't right. What's going on? And so she's swimming upstream and getting a lot of heat for there. This is an example of being cannibalized. But it this to me is another example of just a common sense approach to these kinds of things. Mm. And gender is one of the re- one of the reasons this whole gender issue is difficult is because first it's very politically charged. Mm-hmm. Okay, and there is a there is a minuscule slice of the population that is genuinely gender dysphoric. It may, Bruce Jenner is probably an example of that, okay? Mm-hmm. 
where here's a man who's tragically going to be broken for the rest of his life because his body is saying one thing and his mind is saying the opposite. And that is a brokenness inside that will never be repaired no matter how many dresses he wears, no matter how long his hair is or how feminine he happens to look or act. His body is sending a different message. Now, those are people that we have to be charitable to and sensitive to. It's a tragic circumstance. The problem is, is in many states, it's even illegal to try to help them. Yes, in fact, Jenner has been basically politically conservative on some of these issues. Mm. He doesn't think men should be in women's sports. For those of you who don't know, some of you are younger listening, Bruce Jenner won the gold medal in the decathlon in the Montreal 1976 Olympics. I remember watching him as yeah. a kid. I was 15 yeah. years old. I was a pole vaulter myself, you uh, know, so I used to, you know, watch oh, this yeah. guy pole He was an amazing athlete. Yeah. And, and now, you know, here we are, what, you know, 50 or so years later, yeah. almost 50, 40 something years later. Yeah. And now he's claiming to be a woman, uh-huh. although he knows biologically he's not. And it, some people are claiming it's hate speech now to say that he's not really a woman. Well, look, right. I have someone in my family, extended family, who's struggling with anorexia right now. Right. Okay. Now, it would be unloving of me to affirm her in her dysphoria between her mind and her body. Right. It would be unloving for me to say, you know, you really are overweight. We need to cut your calorie intake. Yeah. No, we need to give you liposuction. Yeah. It would be unloving for me to do that, but that. That's basically what people are trying to say on this yeah, transgender well, Frank, issue. The problem is you're doing parody right now. Uh, and the problem with parody, I've found this uh-huh. many, many times, is parody becomes reality. Mm-hmm. Just mark these words that somewhere down the line, they're going to adopt the same approach to that issue. To oh, anorexia. They're going to starve they're somebody. They're going to say, hey, this is her self-identification. Uh-huh. To argue with that is somehow assaulting herself and not being, it's hate speech, whatever. But but the, but the your core point is really important. Love requires that we care mm-hmm. about what's good for that individual, okay? And when that individual is misled or confused about something in a way that is deeply harmful to them, and let's face it, for gender dysphoric people and transsexual, their suicide rate is skyrocketing. 19 times higher than the general public, even after the so-called surgery. Of course, yeah. 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 And by the way, that isn't because there's a bunch of Christians who are mm-hmm. putting them down. Mm-hmm. Everything about our culture is pro that right mm-hmm. now, and they're still doing that. And by the way, Christians are the bad guys, and they're not committing suicide, right? Mm-hmm. But even in Sweden, where you have a very different cultural ethos, um, you still have the same problem, because these are people who are aware that something has gone wrong. And a, a loving approach is not to encourage the dis, well, I, I want to say disability, just to try to choose something as, 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 as politically correct as possible. But it's, it's, it's not just a disability, it's a sickness. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's probably the best way to talk about it. Yes. And instead of encouraging this that's thing, right. we should be trying to do what we can to help them. But what you have everywhere is encouraging all this. And it's become a social contagion. This is a term that's been bending about. And I think it's fair because it's just a fancy way of saying it. it's become a fad. 
And you know, even Bill Maher has picked up on this yeah. and complained about it. You oh, know, Bill Maher has is actually making a lot of sense lately. In fact, I saw one of his monologues where he said, "Look, kids go through phases because we're doing this to kids now. That's right. We're giving them surgery and hormone blockers. We're giving them Lupron, ladies and gentlemen. Lupron we used to give to castrate chemically castrate sex offenders. We're giving yeah. it to kids to stop yeah. their puberty. And here's what Maher said about it. He said, "Look, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a pirate." It's a good thing my parents didn't take me for eye removal and peg leg <laughs> surgery, right? That's right. right? That's right. <laughs> I mean, he's telling the truth here. Yeah, that's right. He does it, and he does it in a humorous uh -huh. way, but he, he is, he's got an attitude. I mean, he's really bugged when you, yeah. we saw this thing. And I, I was rooting for him. You know, yeah. He's not a leftist. He's a more of a classic liberal. He's an atheist, as far as I can tell. Certainly not pro-Christian, but no. he, like I referred to earlier, Frank, Common sense is adequate to inform us on the foolishness of the direction we're going. Mm. And um, and this is why this is a whole other issue. But when you see some of these things happening and you're scratching your head and you're saying, what is going on here? Because the truth is so obvious and what people are hanging on to and pursuing is so stupid. It's so foolish. It's so destructive to everything. How could they possibly believe it? This is when I start thinking about Ephesians 6. This is why when I start, I start thinking about the the battle is in the heavenly places, and mm. there are schemes and stratagems mm. that the devil himself has that he employs on people. And since his chief thing is lies and deception, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. First John five, he has blinded the eyes of the unbeliever so that they cannot see the glory of Christ. The uh, second uh, Corinthians chapter four, um, that he has held the, the world is held captive by him to do his will. Second Timothy chapter two. I mean, it's all over there. That's when I see there is more going on here than just human rebellion. There is a deception that is, that has descended upon our nation. Uh, that is demonic deception. You know me, I'm not looking for a demon under every no, bush, yeah. but this is standard. If uh, Ephesians six stuff, there's a deep powerful spiritual the other aspect here, to this greg too is that it says in second uh, corinthians i believe where paul says that satan comes as an angel of light that's right so he's using terms that are good moral terms like that's equality right. that's right like identity like uh choice uh like that's right. reproductive justice there's yeah. another one right yeah i it's, mean it's interesting it's I, I wish i had it here because i last year i wrote a piece where i just had the same point what we see is all of vice is being characterized by by virtuous language exactly and virtue on the other hand is is characterized with vice language mm -hmm. uh so the 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 highest language to promote the vice is the word love Mm -hmm. And the and the the most aggressive language to uh, against the virtues, scriptural virtues, is the word hate. Mm. So it, it's it's all topsy turvy. They approve of uh, they. How do they? How does the scripture put it? They celebrate evil. Uh, they call evil good and good evil, yes. basically. Yeah. And uh, and there's like you said, there's the all the language. Language is the coin of the realm here. Mm -hmm. All the language is you use being used to do the to the. The heavy lifting with mm -hmm. people, and of course, the natural re rebellion of people against God, the deceptive nature of spiritual warfare, um, all works in here. So massive, pardon me, massive numbers of people are buying into the lie. We're talking to Greg Kokel, ladies and gentlemen. Greg, uh, you have a couple of podcasts I want people to know about. I okay. listen to them. You have one with Amy Hall. What's it That's called? Right. 
It's called hashtag STR Ask, and so we uh, we broadcast two of these a week. They're about twenty five minutes, and people can uh, tweet hashtag STR Ask somewhere in the question mm-hmm. and in, in, in a tweet length, whatever that is. Ask a question, and then these come to Amy, and then we together answer those on right. our thing. We do two of those a week, and then I do two separate hours of uh, Stand to Reason, right? And that's the name of the show, and you go to str.org, and you find our broadcasts and other ways to do it as well. And uh, there I just take uh, two-hour segments, and I start with some commentary, and then we open the lines. And then I interact with people there. I do answer questions, but there's interactive element of the answering the questions. And so those are both available. Basically, we have four, four broadcasts, podcasts, whatever a week that are available. That's Greg Coco, ladies and gentlemen. Greg, thanks for being a part of CIA 2 every year. 15th oh, it's a thrill for me to do that. Great thanks. being with you, folks. Uh, Lord willing, I'll see you here next week. God bless. I'm Frank Turek. See you then.